You're listening to the sermon podcast of Parkside Church of Christ, a church with Christ, with each other, and with our community in Dearborn Heights, Michigan. For more information about our church, you can visit us at our Facebook page or at our website, parksidecoc.org. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. The word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 16. I'm sorry to complain, but... This is a phrase that I have heard dozens of times over the past couple weeks. And at least half of those have come from me. Times that I've said, I feel bad complaining, or I hate to sound whiny, but all the other times were coming from other people sharing their complaints with, and maybe once or twice at, me. Most of the time, though, these complaints had nothing to do with me. It was just a friend or somebody venting about something they were dealing with. The thing that grabbed my attention in each of these instances, though, wasn't the complaint itself, but the little disclaimer that came before it. I'm sorry. I feel bad. I don't want to complain. Sometimes even I know I shouldn't complain. These all reflect the assumption that we are doing something wrong when we say this sort of stuff. That... In complaining, we are doing something morally suspect, if not a little shameful. And I think that that same assumption shapes the way I hear other people's complaints 
why I am so quick to jump into evaluation and judgment mode as I listen to hear if the content and tone of their complaint is, you know, right or wrong. And this is especially true when it feels not just like an objective complaint, but like a direct attack targeting me. For instance, a couple weeks ago, Steph and I were on a walk and an angry driver zoomed past us, honking their horn and aiming a certain emergency hand gesture directly at us, making eye contact as they passed. Now that was a four second exchange more than two weeks ago, and yet it's still living there in my brain for free. I keep wondering whether we did something to prompt that reaction or if that person was just a jerk. In other words, I'm still trying to evaluate their complaint, both its content and its delivery. This is what I do when people complain and probably even more so when I find myself complaining. All of this has come to my attention recently thanks to this book that I've been reading called Nonviolent Communication. In his book, psychologist Marshall Rosenberg makes a case for listening with empathy rather than evaluation. He does a pretty good job of illustrating the fact that as we listen to other people, especially in contexts of conflict or complaint, we tend to listen in order to judge, to assess whether they're right or wrong. Instead, he suggests that we work to listen in order to empathize, to understand their feelings and the needs from which those feelings arise. So instead of asking, is this driver right to be so angry at me? He suggests asking, what is this driver feeling? And what need of theirs is producing that feeling? Of course, I have no way of answering those questions without talking to this driver, and they didn't stick around for a reflection discussion. But even posing the question can change the way I imagine this stranger. And it can help me better articulate my reaction and response. It allows me to say, I am feeling disoriented right now because my need for being welcome and safe among strangers is being threatened by this angry driver. This whole way of talking and listening strikes me as a pretty good idea, even if it does seem a little bit hokey. It might all feel a little more self-helpy than I prefer, but communication based on feelings, needs, and empathy sure sounds a lot healthier than my tendency to judge, evaluate, and defend. That said, as I read this book, it all seemed a little unrealistic. I have a hard time picturing myself saying to somebody, I am feeling sad because my need for inclusion wasn't met when you sent out invitations for your birthday party. I mean, really, who talks like that? And more important, who listens like that? These are the questions that were bouncing around in my head this past week as I spent more time with the passage I just read from Exodus 16, a story all about feelings and needs and complaints. The Hebrew people had just recently escaped Egypt and found themselves in the wilderness, quickly running low on food. This painful situation produced a pointed, if not misguided, complaint. If only we had died in Egypt, 
they grumble to and at Moses. I'm sorry to complain, but this whole starving in the desert situation stinks. Their complaint, though, isn't really the thing that caught my attention this week. What really caught my eye was God's response throughout this whole story. Four different times in just six verses, we find some version of the following statement. God has heard your grumbling. This phrase, God has heard, shows up a bunch of times in the book of Exodus before this scene, actually. Only in all of those earlier instances, the sentence is, God has heard their cry, or God has heard their groaning. This is all in the context of slavery in Egypt. God's people cry out in distress, and God hears their cry. The whole big story of the Exodus, the parting of the sea and all of that, is the result of God hearing that cry. The people cry out, God hears, and God responds to that cry as if it's a prayer. Here in this scene, this complaint in the wilderness, the word cry is replaced with grumbling. But God's response is still remarkably similar. God hears their grumbling, and God responds to it. Uh, They see the glory of the Lord in verse 7. They eat their fill of meat and bread in verse 8. They come to know in verse 12 that the Lord is their God. In other words, God responds to their grumbling with both provision and intimacy. God hears their complaint as if it were a prayer. Or, to put it into the terms that I was using earlier, rather than evaluating their complaint, both for content and tone, judging whether they were right or not in what they said and how they said it, God instead listens with empathy hearing their grumbling in terms of feelings and needs. When they shout, you have brought us into this desert to starve us to death, God seems to hear them saying, we are feeling afraid because our need for food isn't being met. We are feeling disoriented because our need for home isn't being met. We are feeling lonely because of our need for nearness, both with each other and with God. Now, I'm not saying that they expressed it this way, but instead that God seems to hear it this way and responds accordingly, not with condemnation or even correction, but with compassion and care. I have told this story before as an expression of God's grace, and it is, but this week I'm hearing it more as an expression of God's empathy, an example of the way that God hears differently than I do. Where I hear complaint, God hears prayer. And knowing that God hears my complaints as prayers enables me to do something that I'm otherwise slow to imagine. I can reframe my own complaining as praying. I can take all of this grumbling, groaning stuff inside me from my deepest wounds to my most trivial gripes and turn them towards God as faithful expressions of what I'm feeling and needing. I can say to God 
what I don't yet know how to say to others. I am feeling blank because my need for blank isn't being met. Knowing that this is exactly how God has heard my grumbling even before I found these words for it. Lately, I am finding that sort of prayer deeply meaningful. <clears throat> and beginning to discover that God hears me this way is helping me better understand and even join in the way God hears others this way. Where I hear complaining and start my judging, God hears feelings and needs and prayer. God is doing the thing I don't yet know how to do, and God is inviting me to join in it, to hear the way God hears. This invitation to join in God's empathetic listening is essential to who we are as Christians and to who we are as a church. And at the same time, I have a hunch that our ability to hear others the way God hears them only really springs up from our experience of being heard by God in this same way. And so I'd like to wrap up this podcast recording by leading you through a little exercise that will allow us to turn our feelings and needs and complaints into the prayer that God already hears them as. So there are four steps to this that I will walk through slowly to give you a chance to think in the space that you're in right now as you're walking or driving or doing the dishes or whatever. And let me encourage you to, to pause now, uh, take a couple deep breaths, uh, get ready to do a little bit of internal reflection and honest expression, uh, allowing yourself to name what's going on inside you and to turn it into prayer. First, here's what I'd like you to think about. How might you answer this question? What is something that you have found yourself prone to complain about lately? Whether you've put that complaint into words or, you know, just try to keep it buried deep down inside. Just keep it to yourself. And again, notice the way that even in that trying to keep it to yourself thing, we evaluate our own tendency, judging whether it's right or wrong to put this complaint into words. That is just how we naturally hear ourselves. And that's not the way God hears us. And so trusting that God hears us differently than we hear ourselves and each other let me encourage you to honestly name a thing that you found yourself likely to complain about lately. You can take a second here to think about that thing. What is a complaint that you have found yourself drawn to over the past few weeks? Now, with that in mind, I'd like you to try to name the feeling underneath that complaint. Now, this is not as easy as you might think, at least not for some of us. My tendency is to say, I feel that, or I feel like, rather than actually naming a real feeling. So, I feel like they aren't listening to me, or I feel that this isn't fair, neither of which are feelings, instead of saying, I feel sad, or I feel anxious, or I feel disappointed. And so let me encourage you to move past I feel like and I feel that statements to just I feel blank. Name a, a single 
often, usually, one word, emotion. In light of the thing that draws you into groaning, grumbling, complaining, what is the feeling underneath that expression? How might you finish that three-word sentence? I feel blank. If you need to pause this and think about it, go ahead. But with that word in mind, I'd like you to now name the need from which that feeling arises. So your sentence might go like this. I am feeling blank, whatever you said earlier. I'm feeling that because of my need for blank. Now, this can be even more challenging, by the way, than naming a feeling. As new as I am to naming my feelings, it's even harder for me to put into word my needs. Because, you know, naming needs feels needy. It's not something I am trained to do. And yet, let me encourage you to do your best. Even when it feels like a half-done rough draft, try your best to name the need from which that feeling arises. I am feeling this because of my need for this. Again, even if it feels tentative, that's okay. Feel free to pause this again if you need to, as you try to name the need from which that feeling arises. And when you're ready, now that you've got that sentence, I am feeling blank because of my need for blank, I'd like you to turn that sentence into the prayer that it already is, simply by addressing it to God. God, as I deal with this situation at work, or this health issue in my body, or this relationship at home, or whatever it might be, I am feeling blank because my need for blank is not being met. Now, there is a lot more that can be said after that first sentence. But often, I don't know what else to say. Prayer can feel intimidating because I'm not sure what to ask for and how to ask for it. I can't always describe what I would like God to do, and I often find myself second-guessing whether I'm right about what I'm asking for. But I think I can name how I'm feeling, and even the need that that feeling is connected to. And in turning that towards the God that already hears it as a prayer, I am learning to trust in God's empathetic compassion and care, and a nearness and a provision that extends way beyond what I know how to ask for. And so in this final moment here, let me encourage you to, to turn that sentence towards God. Address that feeling and that need to God as prayer. And if it helps to pause in silence, knowing that God has heard you, or if new words, more sentences start flowing let me encourage you not to, to hurry past this opportunity for honest expression, the heart of prayer that God is inviting us into as God hears this new expression of the prayer that God has heard long before we knew how to say it.